Welcome to Divorce Dialogues. I'm Katherine Miller. Divorce Dialogues brings expert guests to the airways to talk through your divorce questions and fill in the gray areas about separating. From thinking about divorce, to how to behave during divorce, to what to do after, this is Divorce Dialogues. Welcome to Divorce Dialogues. I'm Katherine Miller. I'm the founder of the Miller Law Group and director at the Center for Understanding in Conflict. And I am on a mission to change how people divorce and help them divorce with dignity. And I am really excited that my guest today is Dr. Kristen Neff. Uh, She is currently an associate professor of educational psychology at the University of Texas at Austin. She is a pioneer in the field of self-compassion research conducting the first empirical studies on self-compassion nearly 20 years ago. She's the author of the best-selling book, Self-Compassion. Along with a colleague, she developed the Mindful Self-Compassion program, taught worldwide, and co-wrote the Mindful Self-Compassion workbook. Her newest book is Fierce Self-Compassion, How Women Can Harness Kindness to Speak Up, Claim Their Power, and Thrive. You can take a self-compassion test at her website, and I'm sure she'll tell you about that later. Welcome, Kristen. Now, thank you so much for being on the show. Oh, thanks for having me. Happy to be here. You know, one of the reasons that I was really interested in having you on the show is I think that divorce is often a time where people experience intense (laughs) self-judgment. Yeah, maybe the opposite of of self-compassion. So can you talk a little bit about why that happens and what self-compassion is. I mean, I know it's a big topic, but um, and, and, and how it can really change how you view yourself, your situation, and maybe, maybe even the your soon-to-be ex-spouse. Yeah, well, so most people, when problems happen in their life, like a divorce, they tend to be self-critical as opposed to self-compassionate. Right? You might judge yourself for mistakes you made, whether that was a mistake in the relationship or even just if you you don't blame yourself for what happened in the relationship, blaming yourself for getting in the relationship in the first place, right? So self-criticism is a natural response to anything that feels um, disturbing or upsetting. And really, you know, we don't want to beat ourselves up for beating ourselves up. You know, it's just a natural response when we feel frightened. We feel that if we judge ourselves, maybe that will give us more of a sense of control. Maybe it will make us learn from our mistakes. Maybe it will prevent us from making similar mistakes in the future. right? So it's natural that we do it. Um, Unfortunately, it's just not very effective because, first of all, you know, when you shame and judge yourself for something like making some mistakes in a, a divorce, it's actually harder to learn from them. Shame and judgment are not exactly the best learning mindset. And so that's where self-compassion comes in. Compassion, you know, by definition, is a way of relating to suffering. So in self-compassion, that means our own suffering. And so we relate to our own distress or mistakes or, you know, upsetting situations with uh, mindfulness. We're just kind of, we, we can turn toward the pain as opposed to ignoring it or battling against it. Uh, a sense of kindness and warmth and understanding as opposed to blame and harsh self-judgment. Um, and really importantly, what, what makes it compassion and not pity or self-pity is this recognition that, you know, this is part of the human experience. People make mistakes. The challenges happen. Whoever said it was supposed to be perfect. So instead of feeling all alone in your struggles, you really can feel connected to other people, and that makes it a much more stable mindset. 
Um, and the research actually about divorce in particular shows that self people who are self-compassionate about their divorce um, do much better. They're, made, they're able to cope with it much more effectively than people who beat themselves up. So it's a, there's a lot of research showing its benefits. You know, my experience is that that's absolutely true, anecdotal, if, if just that. So how does that work, though? I mean, I can. it's not necessarily giving yourself a pass, right? So how, self-compassion does not mean there's no accountability or no responsibility for, it's not victimhood, I guess is what I'm saying. Right. Yeah, no, not, quite the opposite, in fact. The research shows that self-compassion helps you take personal responsibility because basically if it's safe to admit that, hey, I made mistakes, I'm only human, I'm not going to like shame myself or call myself vicious names for making those mistakes, it's much easier to own up to them. And say, okay, wow, you know, I really went wrong there. I'm so sorry. How can I fix the situation? So, so if you help people have compassion for a past mistake they made, they're more likely to take responsibility for it and to try to repair the harm they've caused. So again, it's having that friendly, benevolent, supportive attitude that helps you take responsibility and make proactive changes. And so the whole idea is that instead of feeling like I'm not, I'm not going to be a good person or I'm not going to be, a, um, you know, have an acceptable person unless I get it right, it's like I want to get it right because I care. You know, so 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 the motivation of self-compassion comes from care, as opposed to fear of inadequacy. And so, for that reason, it's a much more stable form of motivation. So, so for instance, you know, going into how does self-compassion help in a divorce? And well, I've been divorced twice, so I know a little bit about it also. <laughs> experience. You know, so the first thing we need to do with self-compassion is bring in the mindfulness, which is just to acknowledge the pain of it. It hurts. You know, and often we know it hurts because we're lost in it. But with mindfulness, we're kind of, we take a little more balanced stance toward our hurt. So like we aren't lost in the drama of it. We can't be mindful if we're just carried away by the drama. On the other hand, it means not just like shoving it under and saying, you know, sip up or lip, let's just get through it. Really turning toward it and saying, wow, this is painful. So many aspects are painful about a divorce, whether you have kids, you know, the lost relationship, the grief, any fighting that happened, maybe mistakes you made. I mean, there's just so much pain in the divorce situation. So self-compassion, the first step is opening to that pain and kind of seeing it clearly without exaggeration or belittling it. Remembering that you aren't alone. I mean, sometimes we forget and think like everyone else in the world <laughs> has a perfectly unproblematic relationship and it's just me who's had this happen. Or, you know, we don't think that logically, but we feel that way. We feel like something has gone terribly wrong. But in fact, you know, these types of situations, it's just part of being human. Everyone faces them. And then really the kindness. This is, this is key. Giving yourself warmth, support, encouragement, kind of like, you know, if you, it's not giving yourself a pass, it's saying, okay, wow, maybe you really blew it about something. How can I learn from this? How can I do better next time? Just because things went wrong doesn't mean that I'm a bad person. Right. And so you can accept yourself at the same time that you try to change your situation or your behaviors to be more healthy. I think that makes a lot of sense. But also, Chris, enough, like, sometimes it's about sort of the, what I think of as the macro. I'm in a, I'm getting divorced. I'm a failure, right? Or I'm getting yeah. divorced. I'm not a failure that something happened that I didn't plan or right. whatever. But it also can be kind of on a micro level. Like I get this a lot when people look at their expenses. One uh-huh. of the things that we need to do is to measure the cost of what people, how they spend their money, 
right? And so right. I've had mm-hmm. many, many clients say to me in an embarrassed way, oh, I spent too much money on clothes. I spent too uh-huh. much money, you know, shopping. Or it's kind of a language yes. of the of the marriage sometimes, right? And so where the sort of self-blame connects with the actual blame, the, the not self-blame, blame from the other person, you know, right. is there a difference there or is it the same thing? Well, so blame from self and blame from others, I mean, they're different, but they feed into each other, right? So most of us derive our self-esteem from being approved of by others. So when others blame us, we it harms our self-esteem. When we blame ourselves, it harms our self-esteem. And so self-compassion is not really about judgments of whether or not I'm a good or bad person. It's really just about being as kind and supportive as possible. So, for instance, little micro things like I spend too much money. So, so with self, so self-esteem, maybe oh, therefore I'm a bad person, or I'm a spendthrift, or you know I'm incompetent when it comes to budget, or all these judgments may come to play. Whereas with self-compassion, it's really about the desire to alleviate suffering and to have well-being. And just like with a friend, right? So imagine a friend said to you something like, um, "Oh, I spend too much money on clothes. You know, I'm such a." Such a spend, I spend so much money on clothes. Well, if it was a really good friend that you can be honest with, if they, if they actually were spending so much money on clothes that it was harming them or they couldn't feed their kids, you'd probably say like, well, hey, yeah, maybe, you know, maybe you don't need to spend so much money on, on the clothes, but it's not because you're a bad person. It's not because like you stupid, <laughs> you would call them names. You would just try to help them maybe find an alternative way to, I don't know, dress nicely or whatever whatever needs are getting met by spending that much money to try to help them be better because you care, right? And so caring for your friend wouldn't mean like, oh, don't worry about it. You know, charge everything you want on your credit card because, you know, that'd be harming your friend. (laughs) So it's like giving good, honest, constructive feedback that doesn't require blame. It doesn't help when you say, I'm a bad person. That, That doesn't help. Right, we all kind of do the best we can at the time, but there are, there are often ways we can our behaviors can be better. We can make wiser choices. We learn that's the whole point of life. We learn, we grow, we slowly try to figure things out, and that's what self compassion does. It's all about health and well being, as opposed to evaluating our worth. It's like we're, we're unconditionally worthy as human beings. We don't have to earn the right to kindness. And then when yeah. you come from that bottom line, everyone is unconditionally worthy of you know, human respect, human rights, kindness, care, then it, it all comes about, okay, well, what's helpful or not helpful? I'm Catherine Miller, and you're listening to Divorce Dialogues. We're here on WVOX 1460 AM every other Wednesday from 5 to 5.30, and we're also available as a podcast wherever you listen to podcasts. And I'm talking today with Dr. Kristen Neff about self-compassion and divorce. And, you know, I'm going to ask you a personal question. I hope that's okay. okay. Uh, okay. You know, I, I find that my own divorce really helps me work with my clients. You know, I, I sort of my own experience allows me to really understand a lot better where they're coming from sometimes, not always. And I'm wondering, sure. when, when you got divorced, what did you learn about yourself and self-compassion just so other people might have an understanding of how this works? Right. Well, so I talk about this extensively in my first book, and so I, I can talk about it here. It's a little, you know, it's a little personal, but I decided when I wrote that book, I didn't want to come across as just like, oh, I got all my stuff together, self-compassion guru. I'm a really flawed human being. So my first marriage actually ended because I had an affair, and that's 
when I learned about self-compassion. And, um, you know, and I was actually, um, consider myself an incredibly moral person. I would have never guessed that I would be in a situation that was like totally against all my values. And, but it, yet it happened. I mean, there's a lot of reasons why it happened and it happened. And so really dealing with the shame, with the guilt, with like, how do I, you know, with the kind of anger justified, the anger from, you know, my first husband, so many things were difficult about that situation from every perspective, right? But that was also when I learned about self-compassion. And I can tell you, it got me through. And, and again, it wasn't about letting myself off the hook. In fact, I could actually turn toward it and face it and feel the pain of it, the pain of the harm I caused, the pain of the mistakes I made because of my self-compassion practice, right? It helped me like really have this, deep commitment to honesty when I realized like how much I harmed myself as well when I did something that was so against my values, I could open to the pain of that. But also instead of, you know, instead of feeling like, well, maybe if I just call myself names, maybe I won't be such a bad person because at least if I hate myself, I know I'm a bad, you know, I'm a good person for hating myself for being such a bad person. We do things like that, don't we? It's like the part of us that criticizes (laughs) us, identifies with the good person and not the bad person who did this like really horrible thing we're ashamed of. Right. And so instead of going down that path through self-compassion, I was just really able to open to, okay, this happened. You know, why did it happen? How did it happen? Having compassion for myself and, you know, because these things are linked to so many things that are bigger than us. It's not like I, you know, said, hey, I, I want this to happen today. Right. It was like part of a much larger unfolding of events, including my childhood and the problems in the marriage. It's like so much bigger than I was in terms of how it unfolded. And so that's also part of compassion. Instead of thinking like we are totally independent agents, totally separate from every other influence on our life who make decisions. It's like that's actually not how it happens. As human beings, we are part of this larger unfolding. And so when we have compassion for ourselves, we actually have the wisdom to see that, have compassion for ourselves, understand, okay, I see why that happened. And also I see where I made mistakes and how I would do it differently next time. Yeah, so I really, again, I know I know firsthand how it really helped get me through. And then I grew a lot from the experience. I grew an awful lot. Thank you I for sharing that. Mistakes. I'm still not perfect, <laughs> that's for sure. But, you know, it's like self-compassion really helps. Well, I'm wondering, you know, the holidays are coming up and there are a lot of parents who struggle, a lot of people who struggle through the holidays, period. So it's not yeah. an easy time of the year for anyone, pretty much. But for divorced and divorcing parents, yeah. it's particularly challenging. And I'm wondering... How can people think about, how can self-compassion help sort of deal with that? Because I I can think of some things, but you're the expert. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, often when people have, there's grief involved, for instance, and maybe your family is the intact family it once was, or there's a lot of acrimony, and, you know, it'd be so messy and so difficult. And so really just calling intentionally these aspects of self-compassion. So first of all, the mindfulness of being able to open to the pain, right? If we think we aren't supposed to have any pain or aren't supposed to have any grief, if we like shove it under the rug, if we ignore it, um, it's going to come back to bite us. <laughs> you know. On the other hand, we don't want to get so lost in the drama that we can't see clearly. So mindfulness just means being able to actually acknowledge 
what's happening as it's happening with some sort of equanimity, right? With some sort of spaciousness without being lost in it, without ignoring it. So that's really the first step. Just, you know, acknowledging, yeah, it's really painful. The holidays are coming up. You know, maybe your kids are like with your ex, you know, and you get smears and it's just not like it used to be. So grief, just really acknowledging, turning toward the fact this is really hard, right? And then just, you know, reminding yourself of your connectedness. This is part of life. You know, things like this happen. You certainly aren't alone. A lot of people experience something similar. Whoever said that living a human life was supposed to be about, you know, having that perfect Christmas every day till the day you die, I mean, that's, that's not the plan we signed up for as human beings. So just really remembering that we aren't alone. Try not to feel so separate and isolated by this experience because, in fact, so many other people experiencing something similar. And then some words of kindness and support, like what do you need? You know, so you can say to yourself, what do I really need? Um, do I need to, is there maybe reaching out to friends would help? Do I need some time for myself? Do I just need some emotional support? Do I need to give myself a hug? Just warmth and care and even just saying something like, I'm so sorry this is so hard. I care about you. You can actually say that to yourself. It can really help. You know, I was really going to just ask you that. Do you think that it makes a difference if you say this stuff out loud? Because if you were a friend or a friend was talking to you, this yeah. would be words out loud. And I find sometimes for myself, if I'm really worried about something or anxious, I'll say to myself, Catherine, what's up with that? Like out loud. Yeah. <laughs> in the yeah. car. I think, it, I think it really, it really depends on the individual. Some people, it actually helps to look in a mirror to give themselves a compassionate eye connection in the mirror other people it feels really awkward <laughs> some people you know I think you just try it out different ways and I, I speak to myself out loud and no one else is around but I don't think it's absolutely necessary physical touch is really helpful we do know this because physical touch works with the nervous system putting your hand on your heart or maybe cradling your face or again you know holding your arm that can really help so just I think the idea is try it out a few different ways. And by the way, it will feel a little weird at first. I'm not going to lie. It feels a little awkward if you're, <laughs> if you're used to being mean to yourself. And all of a sudden, like, what's this? And people say, oh, I don't believe it. Well, it's not like there's nothing you really have to believe because you aren't saying, you aren't sugarcoating things. You aren't, like, saying you're a perfect person because, you know, in fact, who's a perfect person? You're just really sifting your intention. You're trying to be kinder and supportive to yourself. Right. So, like for instance, if you're kind to your friend, your friend may not believe it. You're still making the effort to be kind to your friend, even if they accept it or not. And so it's kind of like with ourselves, whether or not we accept it, we can take that effort to try to be kinder, more supportive, warmer, more understanding. And then we can just kind of see what happens. And eventually it does start to feel more natural. And, and there's such immediate benefits in terms of our ability to cope with distress. It's really um, one of the most powerful what they call emotion regulation strategies, you know, so that we aren't so overwhelmed by the difficult stuff. It's one of the most effective tools we have available to us. I'm Catherine Miller, and you're listening to Divorce Dialogues here on WVOX 1460 AM every other Wednesday from 5 to 5.30, or perhaps you're listening on the podcast available at the podcast website, divorcedialogues.com, as well as wherever you listen to podcasts. And I'm talking today with Dr. Kristen Neff about self-compassion, especially in dealing with divorce. And Dr. Neff, if people are interested in learning more about you or your books or taking the assessment, how can they find out more? If you just Google self-compassion, you can spell it any way. I'll, I got in early, so all Google roads, all algorithms lead to me. 
So, yeah, so I've got a website. You can take the self-compassion test. You can listen to guided meditations or practices. You can do exercises. If you're a research nerd, I've got thousands of research studies on my website uh, and also links to the Center for Mindful Self-Compassion, which is the training arm of self-compassion that I that I helped co-found. And you can take self-compassion courses online if you want. Or I've got four books out. You can buy one of my books and try it out as well. So luckily now, um, we really know the methodology of how to teach people to be more self-compassionate. You know, for about the last 10 years, we developed really effective techniques to learn to be self-compassionate. So if you're ready to take this leap for yourself, the avenues are there to do so. Well, what are some of the first steps to learning to be more self-compassionate? I think it does help to, to take the test just to see if you're high or low. Probably the, one of the easiest things to do would be to get the Mindful Self-Compassion Workbook. Maybe you don't want to commit to like an in-person class if you aren't sure yet. And you could just try out some of the practices. Or if actually if you don't want to pay anything, if you want to just try it out, try listening to a few of the guided practices and, and see what it does for you. For instance, I have something called the Self-Compassion Break, which is like a seven-minute guided practice. You could just try it out, do that little practice, and see if it helps you deal with some of the difficult stuff you're going through. Again, it won't make the pain go away. It's not like magic dust, <laughs> but it's more like secret sauce at all. It could make it better. <laughs> It'll make you make you more able to deal with the painful situations without being so overwhelmed by them. And that's probably you know, the, the easiest place to start. Yeah, that's that's great. I think that a lot of times when people are getting divorced and in other kinds of, I don't know crisis situations or really high pressure negotiations, they come from a real uh-huh. place of reactivity often. Yes. Right? So yes. They're, they're always reacting. And so, well, he said that, then I'm going to say this, you, you know, like that kind of thing. Right. And, and, yeah. and it sounds like, you know, and my understanding of your work and the books and all this is that if you have self-compassion, it sort of slows that down a little. Is, is that it, right? Is that right? Exactly. Because usually what's happening is the mind is trying to end the pain. The mind is like going off on trying to end the pain somehow by blaming someone or, you know, when we freak out, it's kind of like part of us is just hoping we'll get safety. So reactivity basically comes from this desire to be safe, right? We're just trying to do anything we can possibly think of to get out of the painful situation we're in. Whereas when we turn toward the pain and acknowledge it and say, wow, this really hurts. Then it, first of all, slows things down. It also really helps if you actually feel it as a physical sensation in your body as opposed to just the storyline of what's happening, right? So maybe you feel like as you've been, you know, people talk about, it's not like I was kicked in the gut. Well, you can actually put your hand on your gut and feel that pain and say, wow, I'm so sorry, you know, I'm here for you. Something, Some sort of words of warmth and support makes a big difference in being able to handle that feeling of being kicked in the gut. And also, in terms of compassion for others, and what we know is that when a lot of people are compassionate to others and not to themselves, but when we are compassionate to ourselves, it also gives us more resources to be compassionate to others. So forgiveness often comes up in the context of divorce. You can't really forgive until you acknowledge the pain, whether that means forgiving your partner. You have to first acknowledge the hurt and the pain before you can forgive. Otherwise, it's just like false forgiveness. And also for self-forgiveness as well. You've got to feel the pain of having hurt someone before you can forgive yourself. And so compassion is really that allows us to go have that first step of opening to the pain with warmth, support, a feeling of connectedness so we don't feel so all alone. 
And then if you're ready, some people never get there, but if you're ready, then you can move more toward forgiveness and letting go of, you know, the anger or whatever it is you're still holding on to. Yeah, well, I mean, that's what exactly what I, I mean. I, I often say that I was in my 40s, and I'm not kidding, before I realized that anxiety wasn't going to kill me. What, what I meant was, like, the minute I would feel anxious, I would try to do something to make myself feel less anxious. And in yeah. that sort of flailing around to do something to make myself feel less anxious, I usually made a mistake. <laughs> exactly. It makes it worse. Right. And so through self-compassion, which is also very good for anxiety, you actually turn toward the feelings of fear and anxiety so again, the mindfulness is like acknowledging this is really scary, if you're really anxious right now. And then, you know, again, you acknowledge that you're connected to others. You aren't alone. You certainly aren't the only one with anxiety. See, often what happens when we get scared is we think something's gone terribly wrong. I'm abnormal. You know, I'm isolated. We feel cut off. So not only are we struggling, we feel all alone and abnormal and isolated in our struggling, which makes it that much worse. So remember that this is part of being human. You know, we're, we're connected to others in this experience. And then the kindness and the warmth me makes such a huge difference. It actually works physiologically. Kindness and warmth um, activates your parasympathetic nervous system. Oxytocin, opiate, helps you feel safe physically, um, which helps you make better decisions. I think that's really great. And I particularly love that you're, I think this is a real nugget for people that if you treat yourself like you would treat your best friend in terms of your understanding and forgiveness and what you say to yourself, that's really, really valuable. That's gold. Dr. Griffin, thank you so much for being our guest on Divorce Dialogues. Oh, you're very welcome. 